Hi. I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. Okay. The evidence. The evidence. The so, oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Let's talk about the evidence. <laughs> okay. So OJ's, Nicole's, and Ron's blood were found on a glove at Nicole's house. The glove. The glove. This glove matched another glove found behind the guest house at OJ's Rockingham Estate. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. That glove also had OJ's, Nicole's, and Ron's blood on it. Interesting. And OJ had a cut on his finger the day, like, when he came in for questioning the day after the murder. Was it, like, a deep cut that blood would have spurted out of? I mean... It warranted a Band-Aid. <laughs> like, Fabulous. I guess. It, was, it wasn't like a little cut, but it wasn't like right. he needed a, like stitches. The beanie that was found at Nicole's house also had hairs on it that were proven to be OJ's. Now, we know that this type of evidence was actually sort of debunked by the FBI mm-hmm. in 2015, But at the time, it was still fully accepted evidence. So if you're curious, in 2015, the FBI, the United States Department of Defense, the Innocence Project, sorry, just have to yell yell their name. (laughs) They participated. They did. (laughs) And the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers published a report disqualifying hair follicle evidence as scientifically valid. And this is very concerning. In the report, they said that false statements were made in 96 of the reviewed cases in which experts relied on microscopic hair analysis to accuse a defendant. Yikes. (laughs) It's not right. (laughs) No. And I mean, like, just think about how many cases have relied on that type of evidence. Just watch forensic files for the first season and half of them will have hair follicle analysis within the evidence or have that be the biggest piece of evidence that they have, which is so disappointing to hear that these experts, quote unquote, were going up to the stand and saying that it was scientifically proven when in reality it wasn't. Right. And I don't know that they were all doing it with bad intentions in mind. Like, ooh, this is false and I'm going to go say it anyways. But there wasn't sufficient scientific evidence that you could actually compare hair follicles I feel like based on this report, we can say with almost 100% certainty that tons of people have been wrongfully convicted on yeah. hair follicle evidence, and we need to, like, fix that. We need to, like, undo that. Absolutely. For me, at least, I know that it's a really basic scientific that's, study. That's why it's been called into question repeatedly. Yeah. So many that it's times. Just a, you're just looking, you're looking at, at a at hair. It. It's like, this is not what, anything. Yeah. <laughs> why what is are you this doing? even in evidence? Right. Because there there was a forensic files that I actually watched and one of the, and it, the case got overturned because the hair ended up being from a dog mm-hmm. and they had compared it and said that it was the same, but the hair that they had found was from a canine and not even from a real human being. So that's how inaccurate it is. It's just looking at a piece of hair. Mm-hmm. Does this look like this one? It is not science. <laughs> Sorry, so you I, could do that. Like, I looked at my hair through a microscope when I was a freshman in high school. And, like, we compared it to other people's hair. So I've just done hair. that when yeah. I was 15. And it's like, I'm sure that there's a level of science to it that we're completely ignoring. And, like, but, acting like it's dumb when it's probably 
really cool, but you can't use that as like your main piece of evidence yeah. to convict someone. Maybe it's like a, let's look at the hair and compare it to move our investigation forward, mm-hmm. or to say like, that looks like that person's hair, like, let's go on that lead instead. But yeah. it shouldn't be used to convict people. No, And honestly, that's not. what I think about every piece of forensic evidence except DNA. Honestly, no, like, truly. I think DNA is the only forensic evidence that I would be like fine with that being the only piece of evidence mm-hmm. that is convicting or not only piece, but only piece of forensic evidence convicting someone. Yeah. I'm not cool with it. the only forensic evidence being like blood samples or fingerprinting or mm-hmm. anything else, really. OK, so what did we talk about so far? So we've said the glove. The mm-hmm. two gloves, glove, yeah. at, glove at Nicole's, glove at OJ's. The hair and the beanie. The hair and the beanie. So now we have blood in OJ's driveway, little like trickles of blood, mm-hmm. and a sock in his house that had Nicole's blood on it. That's, That's interesting. Okay. Additionally, the blood, the bloody shoe print that I mentioned at the beginning that was mm-hmm. found at Nicole's house matched the um the size of OJ's foot and the sole pattern of a pair of shoes that he owned. I mean, that to me is, is very pass offish just because what kind of shoe was it? I mean, like anybody could own that shoe potentially. 1000%. Yeah. And like it's just a I shoe. I mean, like it's just a I yeah, mean, it's it just adds, a shoe. With like all the other stuff, it's it's, it's good to of, mention. Kind of just adds that yeah. extra push or whatever. So I get that for in terms of the prosecution bringing it up, but in reality, I just don't think that that's very convincing because people could have that exact same shoe and the exact same shoe size. Exactly, thousands, <laughs> hundreds of thousands could yeah. have that. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, OJ had just purchased a knife. That was similar to the one that the coroner suspected was used in the murder. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, they're both just circumstantial things that are, like, together with all this other stuff are like, oh, that doesn't look great. Wait, that's not great. Okay. Defense's case. Let's do it. One strategy. Okay. Reasonable doubt. Exactly. All over the place. Okay. So I'm going to just explain reasonable doubt on the off chance that someone doesn't know. I know you guys love trials as much as we do, so (laughs) I'm not trying to patronize you. No, but but it's good to explain. Yeah. So reasonable doubt is the burden of proof in criminal cases. So the burden of proof is on the prosecution. They have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, meaning that a reasonable person would not have any doubt that this person did it. So it can't be like an unreasonable doubt like right. maybe an alien did it like that doesn't count yeah no but it it could be like a what claire was just pointing out like a hundred people could have this shoe hundreds of thousands of people that's reasonable doubt mm-hmm. okay so the defense has a lot of reasonable doubt <laughs> so i'm gonna break it down for you okay First, they argued that the evidence could have been contaminated. So they argued that basically none of the evidence was believable for several reasons. First, some of the evidence found at Nicole's home that night wasn't bagged properly. And some of it sat in an officer's trunk overnight. And to add on to this. This officer took the evidence home, like, in the trunk of his car overnight, and he lived in Simi Valley, which is the place where the officers in the Rodney Rodney King case were acquitted. Oh, yuck. Okay. So then, then they argue reasonable doubt with the glove. 
Let's talk about this glove. Oh, my God. The glove is so... It's infamous. This tiny little piece of clothing. Oh, my gosh. So, I have a question for you. That The fact that I'm prompting this question, you're probably going to, like, know what I'm getting at. But (laughs) I just want to know, who do you think asked him to put this glove on during the trial? Uh, Of all the people I just explained. Oh, oh no. Okay. um, Someone in the defense team... It wasn't the defense team. It was the prosecution? Yes. So Chris Darden <laughs> asked him to try the gloves on because he had, like, no doubt in his mind that they were going to fit. Sure. He was like, OJ did it. These Put gloves the are going to fit. This is going to be a, a really good presentation. The jury is going to be engaged, and they're going to remember this evidence because it's not just, like, back-and-forth questioning. It's going to be, like, a fun thing for them. Yeah. They've been sitting here for months. We need something cool to happen. Yeah. And it totally backfired on totally. him. Totally. Oh, my Because gosh. the gloves did not fit. Counter argument. The gloves were frozen and unfrozen a couple times to preserve evidence. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. That actually can shrink leather. Can shrink. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they didn't bring that up, though. But No. So it probably wasn't pertinent if they didn't bring it up. Well, so the glove, I think that they were just like, let's ignore that glove now. Probably. <laughs> like, they probably just, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, because they'd have to, like, break down all of that information for people. But he got, it was just like, he put the glove, it was like, it did not fit him, but he got the glove, like, over his hand, but it was so tight that his hand started to, like, bend. The thing, the part that didn't fit was, like, the end of the glove was, like, kind of, like, mid-palm. So, yeah. like, obviously it didn't go all the way down to his wrist, so Mm -hmm. it it just didn't fit. Yeah, clearly it wasn't a pair of gloves that OJ would have purchased for himself anyway. They were, like, feeling like this glove evidence was their best piece of evidence, Mm -hmm. and it just backfired on them so so much. So this is Chris Darden's worst decision ever. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) And I feel so bad for him because there's no way that an attorney would be like, let's do this if they weren't feeling really good about it. yeah. And he's an experienced prosecutor. Like, he knows what he's doing. It was just like a total lapse of judgment. Mm -hmm. But it probably lost the case for them. Oh, it totally did. And I mean... This and one other huge thing. Right. Like, if you go watch just YouTube OJ Glove and you, you can see the... Like the trial mm-hmm. and when he tries it on, and it's so it's sad, so funny. <laughs> Just and, like, oh my gosh, I want to be in that courtroom for that reaction. I, I really do. the The glove, though, what I was saying is that it's not like it didn't fit so much that they were unusable necessarily, right? Because he did get it over his and hands. like maybe that's why it fell off. Yeah, I don't know. So we have the glove, but this is where we get our famous line that Johnny Cochran delivers in the closing statement. Want to say it together? Uh, no, because I don't know what it is. Oh. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Oh, okay. Isn't that so great? I Yes. It's a common colloquialism that I've heard often, and I didn't know that it came from this trial. <laughs> you can tell that I haven't read the book or watched the show. That's, I mean, oh I think gosh. that people our age just don't know as much about it because no. we were like, born this year yeah literally in in 96 (laughs) yeah Yeah. so the next piece of reasonable doubt we have is LAPD detective Mark Furman which is a total disaster oh no that I can't wait to tell you about okay okay I'm ready let's go this is the most crazy story ever and you're going to think (laughs) it's like not real (laughs) oh man okay twists and turns everywhere okay okay 
So Mark Furman was a detective, and he was the first person to enter O.J.'s Rockingham estate after the murders. He is the first person who found all the evidence. He found the matching glove behind the guest house. He basically produces all of the physical evidence Hmm. that is being used to prosecute O.J. Interesting. So he's kind of essential. Okay. Very essential star witness for the prosecution. Oh, no. So they (laughs) feel like something terrible is going to happen. Oh, yeah, it is. So it's wonderful, actually. Okay. But bad. at the Yeah. Wonderful for the defense. (laughs) Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So they had already called Mark Furman to testify earlier in the trial. They, mm-hmm. He does his like direct examination where he brings in all of the evidence, presents it, blah, blah, blah. Great, they cross examine him. It's a whole thing. He's like done, released from his, like, his duties. His duties, yeah. He did his job. And then a while passes, like okay. some, like a while, some time goes by. Yeah. And a tape is discovered mm-hmm. in which Mark Furman. The detective who finds all of this stuff is recorded saying the N-word 40 times. What? Yeah. That's a lot of times. That's, oh my God. They're star witness. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) Okay. First of all, where did they get that? Okay. And then how did this... How did the prosecution not know? This isn't... What? Yes. Okay. Two very valid questions. Please. <laughs> He's their star witness. Yep. Yikes. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Well, <laughs> Chris better come up with something good in order to make up for this disaster I'm sure is about to happen. Okay. Tell me. Tell okay. me more. So to answer the question of where the heck did this tape come from? Yeah. <laughs> so this is the most bizarre thing. You're going to be like, that's not true but it is so a professor named laura hart mckinney was working on a screenplay she's like a film professor okay she's like writing a screenplay this is not related and what the heck okay so she's working on a screenplay yeah about sexism in policing (laughs) all right okay yeah no that happens a lot but that's like not related to this at all okay 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 (laughs) and she conducts an interview with detective mark Furman. Because she's just interviewing people in law enforcement. Sure, sure. That is insane that she interviewed him. Okay, anyway, I know. Okay. So she got 13 hours of uncensored audio of Furman just saying the N-word every freaking chance he gets. Like, all Yuck. the time. What the hell? And then... <laughs> okay, you, okay, okay, okay. How can it get any worse? Okay, tell me. Okay. He makes sexist comments in this tape as well. Mm-hmm. One of which is about Judge Ito's wife. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is not real. It is. This is is not real. It is real. What the hell? What the fuck is happening? Some crazy stuff. I mean, that's why I love this trial. (gasps) It is the most exciting thing that has ever happened because tons of, like, awful things happen in quick succession <laughs> it's like <gasps> oh my god and the prosecution wouldn't have known about this because the, it was like a random yep. <gasps> they had no Yo. clue they had no this clue who mark Furman was and <gasps> do you remember when i asked you to like i was like remember that chris darden worked in that special division that investigates police department like p- uh, police officers yes i remember this yes so he was like I've got a bad feeling about Mark Furman when he was preparing Mm. him for testimony. Mm. And Marsha Clark was like, 
it's fine. Like, we have to call him to the stand to present right. the evidence. And he was like, we really don't, though. Like, we can call another detective that was there. Like, we don't have to pick this specific yeah. guy. But she was like, he found all of it. He would be the best person, which is true. If she, yeah. if this hadn't happened. <laughs> oh, no, Marsha. <laughs> okay. So, oh, my God. The comment made about Judge Ito's wife. Well, there were a few. Remember, she's the, the yeah, chief. The, yeah, yeah, They're yeah, the yeah. police captain. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the same thing as chief. She's a police captain. And yeah, she's just killing it. She's yeah. killing it, yeah. And he accuses her of essentially sleeping her way to the top of the LAPD. Mm. But he says it in a very vulgar way that I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> oh, yeah, because God forbid a female can actually like do an excellent job and not need to do that to get to the top of anything. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So because of that, there was a lot of controversy over allowing these tapes into evidence because it could have resulted. Oh, my God. (laughs) It could have resulted in a mistrial because there was the obvious question of Judge Ito's impartiality and whether he would be able to be an unbiased person and preside over this trial still. Which is like a really fair concern. His his wife is named in In this tape. Oh and, my god. And they're already like in the midst of the trial. And if oh, they did like, a mistrial, oh, it's like really far in. Holy moly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, tons of taxpayer money. Yes. Tons of work on behalf of the prosecution, on behalf of the defense, the jury, which we'll talk about later, and the intense sequestration. Judge <gasps> Ito himself spending all this oh time doing god. this. It would be it would be a it would disaster. Be a disaster, yeah. It would be insane. Holy it would not be okay. People would be mad. Shit. Holy shit. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. This is so, nuts. Okay. What ends up happening is Judge Ito allows two sentences in from this tape in Ooh. which he says, like, the N-word 40 times. He allows <laughs> two sentences in. So, obviously, Holy the defense moly. is, like, mad about this a little bit. But, honestly, the two sentences he says are enough, like, Yikes. for a jury to be, like, yeah, no, I don't believe anything coming out of your mouth because they were only two sentences. Mm-hmm. And he said the N-word in both of them. Yikes. Okay, were the sentences like, did he say them in succession? Yes. So it's like one. Yeah, oh, and they're my completely God. unrelated to everything. Like, I'm not going to say them, obviously, but you can no. go look them up. And yeah. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> that's and actually that's smart on the judge's part. I like that. That's it is clever. Smart, that's a like, clever way to I'm do it. I'm not going to let in any of the testimony or any of the recording about my wife or mm-hmm. anything too inflammatory where it would make me seem like I'm being biased. So it was like a way to kind of balance the defense's yeah. interests with respecting the prosecution so that they wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, argue a mistrial. Absolutely. And so he really he was in a tough spot. Oh Poor my Judge God. Ito. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. And like his wife is being insulted and he has to deal with this. He's like, this is a disaster. Yeah. Oh, but that was an intelligent choice. I like that. And something that makes this even better is if it couldn't get like more exciting. Okay. So when he was initially called to the stand, before this tape even exists and, like, anyone knows anything about it. Okay. When he's being cross-examined by the defense, F. Lee Bailey asks him this very genius question. Okay. He says, have you said the N-word in the past 10 years? And he had no clue that he said it 40 times on a tape that they were going to obtain, like, a couple weeks later. Oh my god! It's so exciting. I don't even know what to say to that. That I, my mind is blown. Yeah, 
I've <laughs> never heard of this before. Oh my God. Okay. So his kind of his strategy with this question, you know, not obviously again, not knowing about the tapes, was to put the reasonable doubt in the def- or in the jury's mind, or not even reasonable doubt, but just the thought, plant the seed that this is an LAPD detective. He's probably racist. Probably. And the question was genius because if he answered yes, then he's admitting to saying the N word. Not great. No. If he says no, no one will believe that. Like, no. no one would believe that an LAPD cop in the 90s has not said the N-word in the past 10 years. Yeah. That's so just not right. So, And he said no, right? He said, no, I didn't. And he was like, so if someone says you did, they would be lying? And he was like, yeah, they would be lying. I've never said the N-word. I'm not <gasps> racist. I'm awesome. Mm. But lies. he's Mark not. Mark is a liar. He's a liar. And you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This I, is too good. I love good. the elf. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's not so Christmas, much. but that's all I want it to be. Thanks. It's like one of my favorite movies. Okay. <laughs> so the defense did not have to do much with Mark Furman. They played the tape, obviously. You know, everyone's like upset. But every single time they ask him a question, he pleads the fifth. Every single question was, I reserve my right or I invoke my right to the Fifth Amendment or whatever, Mm -hmm. which is like, I totally respect that you have that right. And this is not what should happen. This is not what the Fifth Amendment's for. No. But it makes you look so guilty when you use it. So guilty. When you're like, I don't want to say anything. You look really guilty. Mm -hmm. I I mean, that's not the intention, but that's what happens. Yes. And especially after all of this is coming out, it's like 10 million times worse. So the connotations are like, well, of course he's lying. He just looked like the biggest asshole. It was so wonderful. I love it. (laughs) The defense was like. Okay, we are winning this trial. We're done. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. So if you're curious, no one ever picked up the screenplay that McKinney wrote. Aw. But she did publish a book version of the screenplay in 2015 called Men Against Women. So that's cool. I feel like we should all buy it because I feel so bad for her that she got drugged into the trial of this century and she's just (laughs) trying to write a screenplay. Like, I just want to. She didn't really want to do any of this. I mean, I would have been really excited if I had caught the LAPD detective saying that. just been like take it get here yeah. what do you want one for me but yeah, it's like, she was kind of like I just don't want to get involved in that which is fair because mm-hmm. it was such a popular trial oh, and yeah. I can understand her apprehension because she was this is like defined her entire life so the defense pointed out the possibility that Detective Furman could have planted evidence considering that he was the first person at OJ's house and he wasn't even invited in or anything he essentially jumped over the fence to access the estate Because, you know, they had that whole argument of we're just going over here to inform him and we're potentially, you know, nervous that whoever killed Nicole and Ron are over here to kill OJ. And he was alone for part of that time. And this is, again, when the matching glove is found and other evidence. So it just, you know, he was supposed to be a prosecution (laughs) witness, but he totally ended up aiding the defense. And more importantly, and even beyond the scope of this trial, exposing the LAPD for their hiring practices and saying, like, look, they learned nothing from the Rodney King situation, and they're still employing complete, awful human beings. So that was, you know, even that was like an unintentional thing that ended up being really great. So Jesus, I that is 
that's just I don't even know what that's insane. I know. It's it's, it's literally too perfect. It's it is too the, this perfect. is the most insane story. Jeez, <laughs> like Louise. that actually happened, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. So you might be thinking, if Mark Furman planted all of this evidence, where did he get OJ Simpson's blood? The defense does provide an explanation to this. So when OJ came in for questioning that next morning after the murders, he gave them a sample of his blood. Okay. There is an evidence photo of this vial of blood when the LAPD had it, and it's full to the top. And this is after the event has happened? Yeah. Well, this is the morning after. Okay, okay. When the DOJ gets it and takes a photo of it during their intake... It is halfway full. <gasps> what? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Did they catalog the blood at the crime scene the next day? Or was it the night of? So this happened like in the middle of, they got there at like 5 a.m. if you remember. So okay. this is all unfolding while OJ's like, I'm going to fly back as soon as I can. So he gets there in the midst of all of this. And, okay. you know, I mean, obviously if we're supporting the o- Mark Furman planted everything theory, we would probably need a couple more people in on it for it to be super believable. Right. But that's not impossible though. No. And the detective who had the blood, who like took his blood visited the crime scene before booking it into evidence. So it's very possible that he even had more of it. And he was like, here, a little drop here, a little little drop there. Interesting. So basically, it's very reasonable to assume that OJ did not do it. Yes, especially if they hadn't cataloged the blood on the scene yet. Like, they had gotten the blood from OJ the, that morning and then hadn't done any sort of forensic well, they had testing done with for, everything. They, I mean, they were, like, doing the crime scene stuff. But that's why I was saying, like, you would have to kind of assume that maybe some other maybe, people were in yeah. on this, like, conspiracy. Yeah, and would say that they found the blood there yeah, while they were doing like, it. Yeah, but it's, like, that's very reasonable. Yeah. It, the defense's case is the Mount Everest of reasonable doubt. <laughs> like, Absolutely. It is a massive mountain of things that just just holes in the prosecution story yes. all over the place. And so much doubt, and it's all so reasonable. It's so reasonable. <gasps> Ugh, this is insane. Okay, so before we wrap up part three, let me tell you the verdict, if you don't know it yet. So the jury consisted of eight black people, one Hispanic person, two biracial people, and one white person. So quite a good bunch. Yeah, a really good diverse jury. So after less than four hours of deliberation, the jury found OJ not guilty. Goodness, that's a short amount of time. It was really short. But when you think about all the reasonable doubt, I yeah. don't. it's really not because you don't have to take in, into consideration all of the evidence mm-hmm. or you don't have to like remind yourself of the testimony from months ago because you already know that you doubt it. Yeah. So what happened when they get into the room is they did like a vote immediately of let's all put on a piece of paper guilty or, in a, or not guilty and we'll just see where we're at. Like read the room. Only two people said guilty. Oh, my gosh. So they only had to convince two people, and yeah. it did not take that long because they, you know, reminded them of all the reasonable doubt, and it just wasn't that difficult. Like, they convinced the other two people immediately because yeah. you do have to have a unanimous vote. One thing to remember about the verdict, if you were, like, totally team guilty, is that a not guilty verdict doesn't mean innocent. So yeah. 
a little bit of, you know, hope for you if you're like, no. No, we totally did it. <laughs> yeah, just because, like, a jury says that you're not guilty doesn't necessarily mean that you're innocent of the crime that you're accused of. It just means of. that the prosecution couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you did it. And, yeah, you know, we have... Yeah, justice system works. And we have the dream team, so, mm-hmm. you know. So they're pretty effective at their job. They did their job so well. I am so impressed. Yeah. Good job, guys. They're they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Best best defense attorneys. They fought for their client. They were like, no. And I love it. Yes. So when the jury was, or when the jury was read, nope. When the <laughs> verdict was read, 150 million people tuned in. <gasps> that just shows the popularity of this trial. And it was like, so popular. The, the influence of media in this entire thing. Because you always hear that too. It's like the media influenced them and things like that, but. Yeah, we'll talk about that in part four a little bit, too. But, yeah, it was a really exciting day for Mm -hmm. justice and for OJ. But it was also a really awful, sad day for the Goldman and the Brown families. Because not only did they lose their family members to vicious murders, but they had to sit through months of a trial, reliving all of that horror. And Mm -hmm. it was just it was really awful for them. And so it was just it was a day of emotions. I wish I was there. So let's end part three. And in part four, I will tell you about some of the extra trial stuff that doesn't have to strictly do with the cases because we we have to talk about it. And then we'll (laughs) tell you our opinions. Yes. And then we'll wrap up the episode and you have to go on Instagram and tell me what you think. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Bye.